Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age. A dialogue with representatives of a global, multi-stakeholder community. Welcome to another episode of Dialogues on Accountability in the Digital Age. I am your guest host today, Richard Foster-Fletcher. I'm the chair of MKAI.org, the inclusive artificial intelligence community. Absolutely delighted privileged to be having a conversation with Marco Magnano. Marco, welcome to this episode on the show. Thank you, Richard, and thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Ah, It's a great pleasure to be hosting with you today. Uh, I better ask you to tell us who you are to start with. So where are you uh, and what do you do? Well, uh, I'm based in Italy, in the northwestern part of Italy, next to the the beautiful Alps, the beautiful mountains. And uh, well, all my career, I've been a radio journalist. So when I hear about podcasts or interviews, I'm always on the, I'm always very happy to be participating. And I must say, I'm usually on the other side, on your side. So it's, it's a bit uh, new for me. But apart from this, uh, since 2019, I contributed to founding um, XRSI, XR Safety Initiative, the uh, San Francisco based organization, the first nonprofit that was created in uh, in the Silicon Valley, addressing the challenges, the risks, but of course also the opportunities for uh, immersive technologies uh, when it comes to privacy, to safety, to inclusion, and let's use the general term about trust. And uh, in October 2021, I've been honored to found, to create the European entity there's the twin entity with uh, uh, XRSI, and uh, it's called XRSI Europe, based in Italy, but uh, with a with a goal, with the scope of the whole continent, including the non-EU countries. <laughs> I feel like that was a little bit of a, a sympathy towards Britain in your last sentence there, <laughs> since our decision. Love your setup, Marco. You got the cans. You got the radio mic. I need you just to adjust that. Uh, lead again going into your mic so that we don't pick up that um, inference that was just coming through so but I'm sure like me everybody heard what you just said so we will carry on with the interview and it's congratulations on setting up the European entity. Thank you so much so I'm very happy to be here to discuss about every topic you need. Wonderful your last word was my favorite word of the moment trust and uh, I think we need to tie in accountability and trust into our conversations. Let me set this up to get your insights on the state of our industry to begin with, because I feel that trust was actually at the heart of the problems that we're experiencing. You know, the problems such as uh, social injustices, uh, the the challenges around social media and the polarization so on so let's wind the clock back on that 2008 2009 i think the legislators governments leaders thought they understood trust which perhaps they did but then assumed that trust would be the same in the digital age as it was in the in real life in the physical world in the physical world of course marco you and i it takes time for us to establish trust it can take one moment for it to be broken and it may never recover or it may take a long time and if you apply those principles to the digital world we don't have a problem if a technology company betrays your trust you simply would stop using them and you may never use them again but that wasn't the case so suddenly you've got big technology companies looking at massive user bases growing pots of revenue 
And they don't care about trustworthiness, my words, not theirs, of course, but I don't feel they did because why would they? Nobody was asking for them to be worthy of trust. We were ticking and signing terms and condition documents. We were inherently trusting. And it became this gold mine because for some reason, we just trusted digital products in the way that we didn't offline. And now the question is, is that going to change? How do you think the future looks? Are we carrying on the same trajectory or are we hitting a bit of a possible pivot point in the industry? I think that the, the key word for this is opportunity. Uh, why am I saying this? I'm saying that the key word is opportunity because, uh, uh, yeah, uh, when we look back at the beginning of the internet, we had a lot of options open. Mm. I, I think many of you can remember, uh, at least not the youngest ones, but uh, the ones who have lived the first internet uh, age, what we call today the web 1.0. Uh, well, they will probably rem remember that uh, the idea was for a freedom of speech uh, centered uh, and um, uh, in a way trust-based uh, network. Then uh, many big players came to, to, this, uh, to this place and uh, we moved to what we, what we always call Web 2.0. I really don't like the definition because I think that there is a continuity and we are still in this streak. Now we are moving towards what's usually called Web 3.0. Someone re renamed it uh, Metaverse recently, but uh, we will get to that probably later. And uh, well, there are some uh, technological advancements that will probably drive us to new opportunities. I'm talking specifically about uh, identity ownership and decentralization. So. Uh, Today, we are using blockchain mainly for trading, staking, and for NFTs. But if you think about that, uh, that technology, well, there is a lot of potential in uh, decentralizing some of the data and the power that many big companies have held. But clearly, this is a multi-layered issue. So it would be wrong if we relied only on technology, on the technological layer, because you know, someone might say that technology is um, neutral uh, by nature. I slightly disagree, but I will also say that uh, technology itself cannot drive toward good or bad. So we also need at least two more items. One is a real strong action by the regulators. And this means, for instance, rethinking the concept of privacy, because we are going toward a, an age where for instance, anonymization is not exactly an option anymore. So we need to discuss about this concept further. We also should think about digital human rights because uh, digital human rights cannot be exactly the transposition in digital of physical human rights. We need to think about digital humans rights. And the third level is culture. So, we are still transitioning towards a digital culture and this will probably be stronger and more felt when we will have a everyday use of immersive technologies today we are still using immersive technologies in a, a little bit niche environments like medical xr or the industrial level or the academia or um, in gaming so that's part of the democratization, but we're not, we're not using it yet like uh, 
deeply immersed in everyday life. You've given me so much to go into there. And I, I want to explore, if we've got time, the neutrality of text. I think people get very uh, confused about that, I think. And a lot of people maybe make some sweeping judgments that aren't true. Digital human rights and culture. But let me just stay on the course we're on for a little bit longer, because if we think about browsers and apps, I, I would say, you know, the privacy battle was lost by the user. And I, I don't think it's... a a winnable environment, but we find ourselves moving to a different kind, a spatial technology industry, a immersive embodied internet. And, and this, this carries a lot of hype, but you know, you know, and I know many others know that this is a fundamental shift in computing. And um, for one reason, particularly amongst others is the data collection. If you look at a company like Meta, they've grown over the last 10 years and 10X their revenues about $8 billion to $86 billion. And they've done that through collecting data and selling it to advertisers uh, for them to sell products. Um, that's, that accounts for 98% of their revenue. So the metaverse and virtual reality, augmented reality, is a dream come true for these kind of data harvesting companies. Because, you know, think about what Facebook did. They, they created an 86 billion revenue company dollars just from what we typed and clicked and liked. Now, you put these headsets on. I mean, you, you fill the gaps in here. I mean, pick this one up. I and mean, what data is being collected now above and beyond what we've seen before? Well, let's start with the number. Uh, it's, a, it's a very straightforward number. You will probably remember in 2016, when the Cambridge Analytica scandal erupted, many researchers went back to a defining moment. It was the Iowa caucus for the Republican Party where uh, Alexander Nix, the um, uh, CEO of Cambridge Analytica, went to the um, Iowa caucus and said, all right, we can create great campaigns because for each and every Facebook user, we can map 5,000 data points. Okay, 5,000. Then in 2019, um, Stanford University conducted this uh, research, this experiment. It's publicly available, so you can uh, uh, go and find it on their website. Uh, immersing a person for 30 minutes in a controlled environment, but okay, in a normal virtual environment using a mid-level uh, market uh, device, like a 1K device, uh, you, can, um, you can harvest more or less 1 million and 800,000 data points per users in 30 minutes. So let's start from numbers because that's, that's a lot. But what's that data? Well, that's another big question because uh, the, easy, the, the easier question uh, would be everything or the easier question would be, we don't know, but we need to know. So um, on one side, we can start categorizing something. So we can talk about the traditional data, what, um, for instance, the login, your login information, but uh, we also need to go to advanced data. So for instance, the retina scan or the gait or the eye movement, or even for instance, do you have some kind of uh, asymmetry in your body or you are limping, you are lumping, whatever. Well, uh, all these data can be recorded. Plus we have the tracking of your environment because in order to protect you from going against the wall or falling through the stairs, 
Well, you need a constant mapping. So all these can, uh, can be used in two different levels. The first one is the direct use. So for instance, I'm mapping your room. I see you have a poster of ACDC, for instance. So, okay, that's a great information for advertising, but it's direct. Uh, but what if we take all this big set of data and we start to infer information on you? That's what at XRSI we called biometrically inferred data. So everything that's not direct information, but it's a calculated information starting from indirect indicators. All these drive us to, to a very difficult categorization because it's still difficult to start, uh, to, to understand where the calculated starts and the direct ends. And that's why, well, this has been, this has been the, the very first effort we put together in 2019. We started the public working group that drove to some publications, that drove to a round table. And every, every month, every week, we do some little step in having a better categorization. This is not only a theoretical exercise. I mean, yeah, knowledge is great, but uh, in this case, the idea is let's try to apply it to get a better definition of what's personal information, sensitive data, and try to transpose it in good regulations. Thank you so much. How much do you think the business model that you're describing, whether it's augmented reality, virtual reality, I mean, this must extend into connected cars and, and all sorts of IoT devices that are, are now watching and learning everywhere we go and everywhere we do. How much does that business model rely on trust? And if it does, does that pose a problem to these big tech companies? So let's try to not uh, to, to not make names directly because uh, uh, we we should at least divide into big categories. But let's use the, the majority. Uh, the um, the model is based not on trust in many cases, but on lack of alternatives and lack of control. And I, I'm specifically talking in this case about. Uh, uh, the um, HMDs, the, the, the um, virtual reality devices manufacturers, because uh, uh, many of them, and one specifically, Meta, you, you said the name before, so I can say the name as well, is uh, subsidizing this, uh, this industry a lot. But this means that uh, there is a big acceleration that's not paired uh, with the, um, the ownership of data by, by the users. And on the other side, this big acceleration is made to put other actors out from the market. So when I say lack of alternatives, this is what I mean. You go to, you go to buy a MetaQuest, now it's the new name, uh, instead of any other competitor because it's more affordable, because there is a great games library, because it's easier to log in because you can uh, pair your uh, Facebook user to, to the experience and so on. On the other side, um, there is no need for trust by these companies, uh, also because you will, you will always be empowered to say, oh, it's being a data loss, it's being an issue, or no, but we're not doing anything wrong because there is no transparency. So tr trust will probably be fostered by transparency. Uh, but I want to take back no, I want to 
touch a point that you said before, because it's very significant. You said, I think that the privacy battle has been lost with browsers. I'm not sure that's even being fought. And that's my concern when it comes to the immersive environment. So the good news is that we are still on time because the user space is still little, but these battles never became part of the everyday discourse. Mm, they never became part of the uh, citizen, average citizen discussion. Why? Because uh, the whole internet started with a great assumption, so everything should be free. But this assumption became a problem when big companies came into the industry because they said, yes, I'm giving you everyday better products and giving them to you for free. Yeah, there is a pay. There is a price you, you should pay. What's the price? Hey, I need to know something about you. And uh, so this has been so uh, slowly and delicately put in the market that we didn't even care. And today we have the opportunity, as I said, to start from scratch in this new environment and take good countermeasures also in the cultural level before it's too late, before the users are like 1 billion, and then, then will be too late. And there is some phenomenal new decentralized protocols, platforms, and applications that will serve to provide potentially viable alternatives that you're describing. I, I love what you're saying. And just recently, I was writing a document in GDocs, Google Docs, and as I'm writing it, it suggests the end of the sentence for me. And I thought, that's incredible. That's saving me so much time. Then I thought, wait, you know, tech also created the problem. Like, I don't have any time because technology makes it possible to send me 400 messages a day. So, you know, let's not be too grateful for problems that tech is solving when we can just look back and go, well, actually, tech also created that problem. So let's not herald them too much as, uh, as angels at this point. Um, we're running out of time, but but we, we said we'd dip into neutral technology a little bit. And... Um, People say to me sometimes, they go, look, you know, AI is like a hammer, right? A hammer can build a house or it can kill somebody. What you're just, and I don't agree, but what you described there, a, a data harvesting device that can collect 1.8 million unique data points after 30 minutes of use, that's not a hammer, is it? That is not a neutral piece of technology. That is designed purposely to extract behavioral data, right? Well, on one side, I should I would say no, because uh, you need many of these data to mm, produce an immersive and safe okay. uh, experience. So okay. safe in terms of physical safety. That's why I don't like I I, I, I never use the term security because it it's part of the safety. Safety is mental safety, physical safety, digital cybersecurity, and so on. So. I would say by design, uh, not all this data capture is bad or is oriented to a secondary use. M much of them, much of it is uh, is to grant a good um, a good experience. The problem is what happens after the data is been tracked. So where is it sent? Where is it sold? Who are the third parties? Where is the the server located? Or um, you company, how long are you using the data? Because uh, since much of this is highly unregulated, 
Well, you can basically retain it for a long, long time and use it in many, many different ways. Um, but yeah, moving to the calculations, so the AI, as you said, well, clearly that's not an error uh, either because uh, behind AI, clearly behind the training, there are humans. So humans have biases, have uh, opinions, have uh, culture, have experience. And so clearly, uh, there is a lot of work to do even before getting to the technology. And that's why I say it's not neutral because technology is the result of human action. And human action should not be, you know, controlled in a, um, I would say, oppressive way, but uh, uh, we need to get humans ready for these emerging worlds. Otherwise, yeah, the timer will be used to smash faces instead of building houses. My last question, a, a simple one, but we will see what you say about it. Um, there's obviously a, a lot of fairly grave warnings that have been emerging through the conversation today uh, from your side. And uh, if I could pay for you to have a billboard in the middle of Times Square or Piccadilly Circus or whatever, you know, a, a real hub of meeting points of humans, um, and it's, you know, a blank canvas for you to write whatever you want. What, what message would you put up there that you'd want a few million eyes to see in the next few weeks? Wow, there is no simple question, and this is definitely not a simple one. Um, if, I may, if I might say, the first one, it would be, a, I would use a claim that was proper of Google in, their, in its uh, early years. The Google claim when, when Google was born was don't be evil. And this is quite significant, especially because it gives you one mission, but also the realization of how much the tech industry has changed in the meantime. Um, but another, another thing is, well, you are a citizen, you are not a user. And that could be probably my final sentence. You are a citizen, not a user. What a wonderful way to put it. And you know what? And I'll just finish by saying this, linguistics. So we had a massive problem with Brexit in the UK. And, and I blame partly on the success of the word Brexit. It's got exit in the word, right? You're just saying exit every single day. And like you just described, you know, Google's motto, their tagline contained the word evil. Like when someone says, don't think of a pink elephant, you do. When someone says, don't be evil, you think evil. <laughs> I think we got to start with the small things sometimes and make sure we don't put words like that into our phraseology because they're, they're going to show up. Marco, great, great pleasure to be chatting with you today. Thank you for lending some time to this important subject and congratulations on the incredible hard work that you and your organization are doing. We are humble servants of your mission and applaud you every day for it. Actually, we are all partners toward the same mission. So thank you, Richard, and thank you, MKAI, as well, for the great actions you take. You're very welcome. Thank you.